Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Okay, Matt, pretty excited for today's episode. We had Ryan Smith on, Kelowna's Director of Planning and Development. Ryan, yeah, he leads one of the busiest planning and development teams in Canada. He's worked for the city more than 20 years. Yeah, he's just a really great guy to follow on LinkedIn. Yeah, you can reach out to him. Matt's obviously had lots of conversations with clients. Yeah, I've talked to him quite a bit and he is knowledgeable. He's super helpful. Like when I'm working with buyers trying to buy a development property or any kind of question for him, he's a really good guy to work for. Yeah. To work with. Yeah. Oddly enough, Airbnb legislation came out from the provincial government yesterday. Honestly, I was a little bit stressed and a little bit heated. And then I saw Ryan's post on LinkedIn kind of supporting it. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be just like a nightmare of a recording. But he was great at just kind of diffusing it and being dynamic holding Taylor's hand through. Yeah. And making me lots of promises off air. I just gave him suitcases of money. No, that never happened, obviously. Man, like some of the government legislation that comes out, the analogy I use to it is like Australia for cane toads. And I don't know if you know much about the cane toad issue in Australia, specifically like in Northern Australia, but they brought in this toad to eat the cane beetle, which the beetle was eating the cane, the sugar cane trees. Yeah. And they brought this in in 1935. And then the toad became this massive invasive species because they have no prey. They thought the snakes originally would like eat them as, you know, they deplete the cane beetle, but since they're toxic, snakes can't eat them. So it's just like, to me, the analogy is they come out with these rules to provide a solution to one problem. And then it creates three more problems. And then they try and create solutions for those three problems. And now they're at nine and it's just like painful. But Ryan gave me words of encouragement. They're dynamic. They're approachable. They're going to review these policies. There's going to be public hearings. So get involved, reach out to Ryan, listen to this episode, take some notes. It's awesome. It is a good episode. Okay. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. So Ryan Smith, city of Kelowna. The way we like to allow our guests to connect with our listener right off the bat is just tell us about your perfect Friday, what feels productive and gives you energy and leads you into the weekend. There's my perfect Friday and then what actually happens on Friday. (laughs) My perfect Friday would be, I love Oso Negro coffee right now. Oh yeah. So I love Oso Negro coffee. And I'd love to be able to drop my kids off at school and daycare because they're hilarious in the morning, but I never get to do it. My wife always has to do it, but she's in a way better mood at the end of the day. Uh, If I take on a little bit more of that, so if I could take the kids to school or work, if I could actually like spend the whole day cycling or running, that'd be the best. But normally... It's uh, off to work at City Hall for the most of the day. And uh, sometimes a little bit of media, you know, responding to some developer complaints, do lots of that or developer issues, builder issues, questions from realtors. Do you ever get developer compliments instead of complaints? I actually got card from a guy from Calgary thanking my team and I for helping out. So, yeah, I mean, it's like I think in Kelowna, we're a place that we've tried to pride ourselves in being good to do business with and responsive to you know, the business community. And so we probably get more kudos than some, but well, we're, we're not perfect. You do get kudos. I hear about it all the time. And also whenever I send an email to you or Adam, like I'm getting replied to. That does not happen in any other jurisdiction that I work in. Quite nice. So we're starting off on a good foot here. That yeah, I like yeah. it. I like also this. like I went to apply with you and met you at City Hall and talked about things. So yeah, you guys are doing something right over there. I think Matt was just talking about me. Anytime he emails me, I never respond. Yeah. So, <laughs> so how do you do your coffee? I'm interested because like, is that a pour over? Is it? A we press? do French press. Okay. Yeah. 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 And also Nate said dark yeah. coffees from yeah. them. It smells a little like chocolatey. It's just, we that got it done and we were, we were in the Kootenays over Labor Day weekend and, and bought some beans and yeah, yeah got into cool. it. We're always trialing different stuff. We just got back from Mexico and we had some pour over coffee and it was like, oh, this is so good. I'm just going to start doing this now at home. But I don't know if it's just the novelty and like I'm going to do it here and it's going to taste awful. 
Right. Yeah, I gotta tell the story. So we went to Mexico a few years ago, Becky and I. And Becky's like, oh, I love the chips here, the chips and salsa and the chips and guacamole. This tastes so homemade. As she's saying this, I'm looking behind her and there's this guy in the resort has his bag that's as tall as me dumping it into a bowl. <laughs> so I think, yeah, you think it's uh, good, but I think it's just a novelty. Yeah, okay. I'll just <laughs> stick to my travel then. Okay, well, like there's some pretty relevant information. This will air, you know, probably in a 10 days or so. So it's October 17th is when we're recording. Some recent policy announcements came out by the provincial government about Airbnb legislation. Just yesterday. Yeah. So can we kind of dive into that a little bit? Obviously, there's still a lot to navigate. Do you just want to kind of give us the Coles notes on that? Yeah, for sure. And this is, you know, one of the first steps in a bunch of provincial legislation about housing that's coming this fall. Provincial government foreshadowed that in their Homes for People plan, which came out last spring. And they have an aggressive legislative fall plan. So when I say that, they're going to be making new law, new legislation that they hope opens up the availability of housing or helps housing delivery of more affordable housing and some supply side measures, some demand side measures. And one of the first pieces of that is the short-term rental legislation. We as a city had a little bit of feedback into that because we had a licensing regime already. We were one of 31 communities in BC that did. And we were struggling with aspects of it. We were struggling with principal residency requirements. So if you were in a single family residential house or a condo, you have to be the principal resident to be able to Airbnb it. But there's all sorts of ways that people were cheating that system. Yeah. And, you know, it's a lucrative business and it's hard to catch that. And so the province introduced that requirement. They also introduced requirements for data sharing from the short-term rental platforms for them to post licensing, business licensing on the short-term rental listings. There's beefed up enforcement and probably the most controversial part is the grandfathering. So licenses in some developments may not be honored going forward. Yeah, because there's been a few developments coming up that they're advertising that specifically, short-term yeah, rental. Exactly. You know, not just Kelowna, but no, across the Okanagan, yeah. we're a holiday spot. And yeah. so we're going to have to spend some time figuring out, you know, what's the fairest way and how does the province want us to implement this? And if we have some leeway, what's the fairest way? And so we'll be talking to council about that, I'm sure, over the fall and winter this year yeah. and trying to provide some clarity. But we're getting like tons of calls right now, people, and understandably so. I mean, these are big financial decisions and, you know, the government going this far into short-term rental-like regulations with a heavy hand really shows they're serious about trying to pull, you know, all possible levers to free up housing supply. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, housing affordability it is a crisis. We've been not in just affordability, but also availability. Yeah, my question would essentially be, and you know, there's still a lot of information that you guys need to dissect and come up. And so there's going to be, you know, council meetings that you know public can come to the hearings and discuss with you guys in an open platform. Any indication right now? Like obviously, people are hitting the panic button. Like if somebody just bought and removed subjects, and they're going to close on say, you know, Discovery Bay or Playa or Brooklyn or any of these places that are allowable short-term rentals, are you guys going in aggressively against those or is it more single family houses? I mean, my initial take on it is it's probably very likely to be more development that was built for like a residential purpose and not the resort vacation purpose. Yeah. So the Playa del Solos of the world right now, we call them more of a commercial type property. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think the province probably expects us to continue allowing that. The devil will be in the details of that legislation. And this is one piece of a much larger picture. And when we look at it, we did some interesting work with a housing needs assessment that we introduced to council like four weeks ago now. And we had some of the best data people in BC that do demographics try and figure out for us what's the the demand that's there in the community if not one person moved here this year you know how many housing units do we still need to build like who needs different types of housing andrew ramlow from rennie was involved in that as well as city spaces consulting and he's got lots of credibility generally does a pretty good job talks to urban development institute here once a year and is always highly rated we find him quite credible and He started last year by challenging our growth numbers, saying we were too low. And then the province updated their numbers and thought we were too low as well. And so we're updating our numbers too when we review our community plan next. 
But what they found with the existing demand was that there's probably between like 3,700 and 5,000 units of existing demand. And how they got there is a variety of data sets that are probably way over my head. I just get the result. And my job then is to look at ways that, you know, are there quick levers that we can pull, you know, if we could put five or 600 single family homes back into a, a longer term rental situation, could we do that? So the good news is that we still have a really tight rental market. So if you are forced to switch your short-term rental into a longer-term rental, there's still an income stream. The bad news is it's not going to be the same one that you were expecting when you bought that rental unit. I mean, I got some sympathy for that as well. I mean, that's not an easy change to make. Yeah. So do they show in their data what the projections are to curb the crisis by this policy change? Like, It'll be interesting to see. We'll be able to come back you know, a year from now and two years from now and report out. And I try and do that in a variety of ways. We'll do that to council. I try and get it out through LinkedIn as well. And so if we saw the number of you know, short-term rentals shrink by a certain amount, and I mean, it's going to be hard to, you know, we don't measure the vacancy rate, but if we started to see the vacancy rate move up a little bit more aggressively in Kelowna, I think that would be the measure we'd look at. But we're not going to see that four months from now or six months yeah. from now. We're going to see that a year or two years from now. And depending on how much that vacancy rate moves, will we really know when it's the short-term rentals or is it, you know, those 3,000 units of purpose-built rental that are under construction right now in Kelowna? Yeah. You know, everything's going to factor into that. Yeah. So I guess, like, are there any other cities that you guys have taken historical data or not you specifically as Kelowna, but these companies that you've hired to do these assessments? that show that this policy change will move the needle a certain percentage. Like I know New York's done this. I have a friend that actually we just ran into randomly in Mexico. He lives in New York now. He's like, there are vacant units all over the place, mostly from converting commercial spaces to residential. Obviously, you know, we're in dire need of both of those spaces in Kelowna, but have they taken any data from anywhere else? Or is it just like, hey, let's do this policy change and see what happens? Yeah, I think cities are so complicated that different jurisdictions or different cities are going to respond differently to this change. And, you know, I think that what sort of the market response in Kelowna is will be really interesting. I don't know 100%. What we were seeing before is we didn't allow short-term rentals in secondary suites. And so we saw a jump in decommissioning permits for secondary suites so people could enlarge right. their homes. So, I mean, there'll be people who try and get around the rules. Yeah. There'll be people who follow the rules. And so, I mean, it'll take the edge off of, you know, a really sudden impact from this. But over time, hopefully, you know, a combination of different rule changes and regulation changes from the province will start to help. And I mean, the next piece of this probably this fall is the province foreshadowed uh, moving from, you know, two units on single family lots, like a house in a suite out here in the mission or a house in a carriage house to up to four units. Yep. And that could be four to six, depending on where you are. And yep. uh, we've also been working on a project related to that. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, how many units does that add to the mix a year? In Kelowna. I mean, I think that we've been pretty good at permitting development in Kelowna. Yeah. It's almost like I show a funnel graph where because labor is short right now, yeah. contractors are short staffed. Materials. Yeah. Materials are expensive. Yeah. All these things like taking bites out of the feasibility of projects. And so to get, you know, one project to go ahead, we might have to approve four or five and only yeah. one of those four or five go forward. Yeah. So we got to put a lot in the top of the funnel for a little bit to come out the bottom right now. Yeah. And I think so far we're still pretty good at doing this. And I think we just have to remember that we need to keep doing that. We need to permit between like 18 and 2,600 units a year in Kelowna. We didn't have that many built every year, but we may need to be approving like four to 5,000, for instance. Yeah. And who knows what that number is? And it depends on so many different complicated factors, but we're going to start tracking that data because I think it'll be really interesting. So I could come back here yeah. in a year or 18 months and say, okay, well, you know, we're going to project back and say, here's how much we approved over the last few years. And here's what got built and where. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like just anecdotally, like I've had a few infill places that I've sold. The plan was to tear down Villa Fourplex and now they're just renting them out because of what you just said, cost prohibitive. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they also don't know what the demand's gonna be like at the other end, I guess. But yeah, like you said, I think yeah, you approve more than only a certain percentage get built. Well, it's interesting too, like you know, I I was very tempted to call some developers this morning. Obviously we're short on time because this is really recent stuff, but I was like, okay, so you have, you know, the Kirkoffs and the mission groups that are building 
Aqua has short-term rental allowance. So Canon and Pectin has short-term allowance. Their profit margin is so minimal as a developer. And we've spoken about this before on the show is there's a stigma that there's these big, bad developers that are making fistfuls of money, but it's not the case. Like, you know, I think about there's a stat 28 to 32% of their expenses goes towards DCCs and tax, GST, all that stuff, which GST is now being somewhat mitigated. Rentals. Yeah, but... You know, if they're building, say, Aqua, they're putting a premium on that. That's how they're clawing back a margin, you know, so maybe their margin went from 7% to 15%, which is not a huge margin to take on such a large risk, especially when their financing is on variable rate mortgages. But but these legislation changes would really impact them. I mean, if I was a developer, which I wish I was, maybe not today, but I, <laughs> I, I would just be like, oh my God, this is going to crush my margin for profit. Yeah. Why would I continue to develop in this area, in this city? And that may impact it. Like Aqua has phase one, that's going to be short-term rental less than seven days and phase two and three, or I think it has to be at least 30 days or over seven days. If the provincial government and the municipality is too aggressive with these legislation changes that you would scare off some developers. And that would in turn, like just again, cause the issue of housing affordability? It's a really fine balance. And I mean, in some ways, it's similar to the discussion you could have about, well, what if we just mandated, you know, 20% of every building to be affordable housing in some way? Yeah. Does less housing happen because of that? And we end up in a worse spot, potentially, because again, performers don't work then. Purpose-built rental builders, I mean, that GST change, like that 5% is make or break. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And so I think you know, the average person has no appreciation for the financial risks that those developers out there are taking. Yeah. And one of the things we reinforced to our teams is that the housing is super important, the respect for the investment in the housing. And, you know, for one of us to look at a development project that an architect has designed and say, oh, yeah, we don't like that. Well, the developer has to go redesign that. And it's, say, you know, a 45-unit apartment building. That could be $150,000 in architectural fees. For a small developer to go spend another hundred and fifty grand on a redesign, that's a lot of money. Well, it just goes to the end consumer, right? Yeah, yeah. Adds to the Someone pays for it eventually. Yeah. So it's interesting that 5% GST, I think it's fantastic. So that's purpose-built rentals, essentially, when developers are building an entire complex for rental use, which is, I think, well needed in BC. I find it funny, and I hope Kelowna doesn't go this way, and I don't think you guys will, but Metro Vancouver total regional DCCs of building new single-family homes are supposed to increase by $24,000 by January 2027. So that's up from $10,000, representing a 240% increase. So they came out with this basically the same time as the GST was removed, I just, it kind of like they gave the developers something to work with and then they took it right away by DCC fees. I know it's a fine balance where, you know, we need infrastructure in Canada, but yeah, that's just frustrating to see for Vancouver in general, I guess. The problem is the Canadian model of how infrastructure is delivered, like large community infrastructure is totally broken. Yeah. And like we're the fastest growing city in the country or fastest growing census metropolitan area in the country. Yeah. That has no link to any infrastructure grants or anything that we get really. Yeah. And like, how is that possible? And so people complain that, you know, we're not building enough infrastructure to keep up with development. Well, infrastructure generally always gets built after development. So that really doesn't concern me. Yeah. But our ability to afford that is certainly impacted by, you know, if we're trying to keep DCCs low, or DCCs in the mid-range, which we don't try and be the cheapest or the most expensive. We try and be, you know, middle of the pack and we size our program for that. But if we could count on predictable infrastructure funding from the provincial and federal government, you know, there's got to be a new way of doing it that, you know, rewards communities that municipal councils that prove growth predictably and regularly, because we're going to have to. Like, I think that the days of, you know, being able to say, know and be super picky are gone. I think that, you know, when we're having trouble getting doctors, nurses, you know, employees at movie theaters, service staff at restaurants and restaurants have to leave tables empty because, you know, they just don't have the labor. We've got a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, to that point, so obviously immigration is an all-time high, which we need. Any growing economy needs that. They fill a lot of those job roles, but that also adds to the housing issue not only is it somewhat unfair to bring in new immigrants and then have them land and say, 
oh my God, rent here is incredibly expensive. I need to move out to a different city. Just from like a personal opinion matter, would it benefit us as Canada to maybe slow down our growth in immigration a little bit to allow the housing market to kind of reset while all these legislation changes happen? Or is it just, no, keep immigration coming. We need the labor force. It's just kind of a continuous circle. Like we need the labor, but it adds to the housing issue where the immigrants move to. So complicated. I mean, they see both sides of the issue. And I think that, you know, we need to be bringing in the skilled labor to help us build the housing. And that could be, you know, permanent skilled labor or it could be temporary foreign workers. And right now, some of the uh, construction workers building the Muvala development, they're Mexican um, temporary foreign workers. workers. They're living in workforce housing over on the west side. And I think we need to see more of that in Kelowna. I worry less about the federal policy and more about how could we get the labor here to do even a bit more. And I think that I'd love to see more contractors and developers approaching me saying, oh, hey, I got this land. I'm not going to use it for, you know, eight to 10 years, but I can buy a workforce housing camp from Alberta. Can I put it there and bring in some foreign workers? Like we should be making that easy. Yeah. And that helps us locally solve the issue. Yeah. And I mean, if it's three to six years while those workers work on a couple of projects, we're not charging that DCCs. Well, let's put it in the right places, you know, where it's walkable for them to get to some grocery stores or whatever else they might need. And let's get them working here and think that we're our own worst enemy sometimes by, you know, overcomplicating, whether it's like development processes or building processes or even like on the immigration front, you know, we should be at the very same time making it really easy to bring in that foreign construction labor to help us build. Uh, it was in New Zealand in 2013 in Christchurch, and they were rebuilding Christchurch. Two earthquakes just like leveled the city, like totally. Yeah. Le- they were still taking pieces of buildings down and not even building it up two years later. And we were in a, a pub. I was a, on an exchange with a yeah. friend. And so yeah. we, it was like a pub tour of New Zealand. <laughs> and I was like, there are so many Eastern Europeans here. And it was all their labor. They brought in temporary foreign workers from Eastern Europe to help them rebuild Christchurch. And it was super interesting. They said they just didn't have the workforce in New Zealand to do they, it. it such a I was a couple of people from Kelowna that were in Christchurch rebuilding that. Yeah. yeah we had a building inspector there. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 yeah who did uh, six months there. And like, I have no idea. It would be interesting to go back today and see the progress they've made. Yeah. But I mean, they were pulling out all the stops. And I mean, they did take some areas of the city and say, you know what, we're just not settling people back into those yeah. areas. But the center of the city proper, there was so much going on. Yeah. That's well, an interesting model. Maybe. Well, I mean, a little bit of a smaller scale. Like, obviously, we had some drastic recent forest fires this year. I, I was thinking too. 100 like, yeah. structures. That impacts our affordability here, our housing needs. You know, in 2003, like the stats show a very similar growth period in 2004 that, you know, housing started to climb up. The cost of housing started to climb up. You know, we're kind of speculating, but you take 100 units off the market, it takes a little while to build those back up again. So, yeah, we do need that. To kind of just conclude on the Airbnb, there was a stat that I was looking up. So it said there's approximately 28,000 daily active short-term rental listings in BC. Increase from 20% a year ago. Data indicates that more than 16,000 are entire homes being listed as short-term rentals. So that's that's interesting to have like the entire home instead of just a suite or a carriage house like we've seen. Would that about. count as a condo also? I would assume so, yeah. So now to break that down, again, this is very high-level stuff. So 28,000 homes in BC as short-term Airbnb rental properties, there's just over 1.8 million houses in BC. So as a percentage, it's 1.48% of houses are on the Airbnb market. I guess that's the data that we know about. And obviously some of this legislation would show improvement for tracking, you know, business licenses, et cetera. I just look at that as like, will a 1.4% change in you know, allowing those houses to go back to either long-term rentals or force them to be sold. Like, I know it's going to move the needle a little bit, but is it enough? Not on its own. It's not enough. I think that it's an immediate measure, whereas a lot of the other measures they're taking are going to be longer term. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're not going to be in BC building whatever the 50,000 homes we need next year. You know, if we got to 35 or 40,000, I think that would be massive achievement. And I don't think we're going to get there in this market. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that Kelowna were what 2.3% of BC's population. 
7% maybe of the Airbnb listings in BC are here. And so that's we're a tourist area, right? I mean, and we're, oh. we're always going to have that balance that's going to be a challenge. And I think that you've got a pendulum swinging here in favor of that sort of a predictable long-term housing model and supporting that. But depending on how the numbers evolve here, you know, we may be in a position 10 years from now where we manage this well or could even be sooner. And one of the good things is that, you know, we have a team that maintains and reviews that data. And we, more than a lot of other places, update our bylaws and review. And we told council after a few tour seasons, we'd review our short-term rental regulations. And we did that and we reported back. We tried to be as transparent as we could. And we'll keep going with that too. And so it's going to be interesting to see if it's tried elsewhere, but OTCDs are the same. Impact here could be different. And if it's detrimental, then we're going to have to have that discussion too. Well, it's nice that you guys are very dynamic, you know. It's funny because, so we did an episode, I can't remember, it was in maybe 9, 10, 11. We spoke a lot about Airbnbs. We listed, I think, the 12 available ones. And then we also spoke to Adam Cheka, who works with you. And I think in 2011, there was essentially a pause on Airbnb allowable buildings. And then it started to boom again in like 2018, 19, where Brooklyn, everything started. So it was like Discovery Bay was kind of, you know, the initial part of it. And then Playa del Sol, like kind of was the end of that era. And then there was like a pause and now it's growing again and now it's pausing. So obviously it is dynamic. You guys review it annually, biannually. The only thing I'm concerned about is... (sighs) Okay, I am a bit of a capitalist. Like, uh, uh, that's probably well known. People that have purchased these Airbnbs, I guess, who do we think that it's targeting? Because I don't know many people that, you know, an institutional investor that owns 100 Airbnbs. Most of them are mom and pop. They bought one rental property. It's an Airbnb. They're trying to make money because CPP and OAS is obsolete at this stage. And they're just trying to make that effort. And a lot of those people, you know, kind of, bought into the fad in the last two or three years. It was a variable rate interest. They're getting kicked while they're down. Now, like I would be very nervous of the resale market. I do know people personally that bleeding money essentially in some of these units, Discovery Bay, and they have it listed currently, they're not gonna sell that property, unfortunately. So like for me personally, full transparency, yeah, we own one with a partner there. Like we lose $16,000 a year on it because of the interest rate. To hear this news, For us, we can absorb it, but for some people, that would be like detrimental. I guess by creating one solution, we just kind of create another problem with that demographic of people. So I don't know. If there was easy solutions to this, we would have been there. Yeah. If we could have asked City AI what the ideal policy was, then we'd be headed down that route. But yeah, we're not quite (laughs) there. Chat GPT. Yeah, chat GPT. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue. Well, I just, one more thing is like, Everyone has been crying. We need more housing. We need more housing. Obviously, there's a major real estate issue going on here. It has been for years, like as long as I've been in the industry. Like something has to happen, right? Like we need to do something here. So get out of my house, you socialist. I think that if it is a crisis, I said this on LinkedIn last night, then yeah. I think we should be trying to take some extraordinary measures. I agree. Any type of, you know, really tough measure we're going to take is going to piss some people off and potentially hurts. And, you know, I've got the utmost sympathy for that as well. I mean, I think that, again, you know, I have friends with variable rate mortgages that are struggling, whether it's their personal mortgage or investment properties. And it's a tough time for everybody. Oh, yeah. And it's a tough time to do this too. And so again, that's not really lost on me. And I think, yeah. again, like when I loop back to that, I don't want to you know, tutor on horn or anything, but we do go back and revisit these things. And so I know it's going to be a time to do that at some point. And I think we've proven in Kelowna that we, you know, are able to be innovative in these situations. And so I think that there will be some hybrids at some point that come out of this too, whether it's locally or whether it's provincially. Yes, but I think that there will be some, whether you call it innovation or yeah, like hybridization of the regulations over time, I think that will happen. Yeah. Also like Airbnb is so much in the news, like for a political standpoint, it's like such an easy target to go after, right? Like to win some points trying to do that. Like like you said, it's one point, something percent of the houses like so it's obviously not the major issue but it yeah like it's low-hanging fruit I yeah think. and i think yeah. that i mean a lot of people if you've lived next door here i've got photos a whole bunch of times over the last few summers from neighbors of like big huge stags or stag at parties and what's going on in the pool deck and the back decks of these places and it's like well in fairness that could just be a party but you know <laughs> likely everybody's been to Airbnb for a bachelor party yeah oh, it, it sure. is a very hard thing to regulate and police so yeah i understand 
blanket policy on it. Doesn't VRBO on their commercial, it says the homeowners don't live in our rentals or something crazy like that. We were at a bachelor party at a VRBO where the owner was living downstairs and it said on the commercial, the owners don't live in the house. <laughs> there you go. So up next, we're having Airbnb CEO and <laughs> CEO. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Okay. So instead of trying to restrict short-term rentals or penalize with these regulations, can we not incentivize? And I know we are with GST and you know, purpose-built rentals. Can we not incentivize more for long-term landlords? Because I also have a large portfolio of long-term rentals and it is not as profitable as people speculate. Like it does be very well, but it's taken a long time to build that up and a lot of sweat equity. And, you know, I can tell a sob story, no one will believe, but like there's huge risk to that as well. But like in BC, and again, this is just a conversation. Presidential tenancy. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> directing this at you. And no, like, fair enough. Ryan, fix my problems. But, well, I'm the government as long as, as, long as I'm here to do so. Yeah. I invited you over for personal reasons. Yeah, exactly. Like, BC Tenancy Act is painful to deal with. Rental increases annually have really been put on pause. Like, thankfully, we've clawed back a little bit of that recently. But, you know, you go to our neighbor, Alberta, they don't have that. I would argue that Alberta doesn't have as big of an affordability issue in terms of income to housing costs. I mean, it's kind of a blanket statement. We could compare maybe Calgary and Kelowna. But like, why do we have so many restrictions on those long-term landlords? Can we not provide more incentives to be a long-term landlord Just, instead of penalizing Airbnbs? Yeah, jumping on this, like, so I've always been an advocate, like as an agent, like, listen, you can buy this Airbnb rental, rent it to a student. We're a college town, right? You can rent it to a student from September till May, and then you Airbnb it for the winter. But our residential tenancy act, like basically that is just not thing to do, right? Because of the way our tenancies are. Yeah. I mean, if you had an arrangement, you have an arrangement, but effectively mm -hmm. that's not possible. I mean, yeah. But it comes to the end of the arrangement. Yeah. The tenant just says, I'm not leaving. Yeah. Then like, you, you yeah. have nothing. There is yeah, no reason. They're allowed to stay. Yeah, yeah. They're allowed to stay. So like, I think Kelowna is a place where our population doubles or almost doubles in the summer. And we're a college town. We're getting a new campus downtown. It'd be a perfect place in the winter months. We have long-term rentals in the summer months. We have Airbnbs. It's just the way our laws work. This is not a safe investment to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what gets stuck in between is all those like the service industry gets kind of lost in between and there's nowhere for them to go in that whole mix. Yeah. And that's who are really struggling all over the place from what I hear is the, you know, all the supporting staff, whether it's, you know, the businesses at the mall or you know, the tire shops who, you know, it's those, you've got to live, you know, 45 minutes from work and drive in every day and then fuel costs rise and people are getting hurt all over the place right now. Yeah. And so we'll do what we can to try and get more housing built, you know, sort of in central Kelowna proper. Yeah. And then, you know, put the supports in place, you know, to help people get into that housing. We do a whole lot for rental housing, like beyond that, we talked about the 5%, but the city has tax exemptions that we do. We have parking incentives. We've got density bonuses. Like all of the measures in place right now to try and get rental built, and it still struggles. There is no like purpose-built affordable housing or any of the housing that needs a subsidy has to have the government involved right now in a large way, even yeah. larger than we are. Yeah. We pulled a lot of the levers that uh, we can pull in Kelowna. And aside from, we talked about the infrastructure already. And right now we think we need that to build the infrastructure the community expects. But if we were getting you know, more predictable infrastructure funding, then we could take projects out of that DCC program, make it cheaper. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Is there anything the public can help with that? Like, is there forums that we can push the federal government, provincial government for funding or is it just up to you guys to you know what we could do is instead of building nice big offices on the side of our house we could all build suites and <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean I, yeah there's the attention to the issue more yeah. than anything and then trying to push governments to align themselves better i talked to the chamber lunch a few weeks ago and people asked me what i made a statement about like this philosophical misalignment between different levels of government so we've got too many different layers of government trying too many different things all at the same time and sometimes doing nothing well and it'd be great to see, you know, the federal government take the lead and say, okay, we're going to do this and this and this provinces and municipalities, you align your policies with this right now. Yeah. And here's what we want you to do and provide clear direction, then leave something to the provincial level and say, okay, provinces are going to take this on and you're going to work with municipalities for these specific outcomes and measure them all in the same way all across the country. 
And until we start doing that, like the data is going to be king and drive this. And I don't think we're doing that well enough right now. How hard is it to collect data on, you know, like in real time, how much rental is at various points in permitting processes, but, you know, across every municipality and can't, we have no idea. We know how much gets occupied at the end of the year, maybe how much we issue building permits for, but we don't know how many is unrealized. And if we're going to start pulling other levers to get more built, like in Kelowna, we're starting to look at, you know, what's not getting into building permit process or, you know, why is there no hole in the ground in that site? Yeah. What other levers could be pulled there? And oftentimes they're outside of our control, but, you know, it's interesting to know. And I mean, we've got development waiting for CMHC financing right now. Yes, and so we're, that and- yeah, we're taking the steps and I'm sending the message to CMHC saying, you know, we appreciate that you do the financing. It's a great program, yeah. but it's so popular that you need to resource it better because we've got housing here waiting on it. Yeah, it is a good program, but it's incredibly backlogged and slow. And yeah. Okay, I'm going to say something controversial. I know I've been really good this whole time. Yeah, I was like, I thought this was going to be a little harder hitting, Taylor. (laughs) Okay, should Kelowna be affordable? I'm only asking because I guess I feel some people are entitled or come off as being entitled that, hey, I should be able to live on Lake Okanagan. Like I should be able to afford a house. Like, should people be able to afford to live here? Kelowna is not a small city anymore. A lot of people still look at Kelowna as, you know, a small farming community. And we're a, you know, fast growing medium sized city with some big city problems going on here, big city debates. And because we're in such a desirable spot, we're going to have affordability challenges for a long time. And you had me back on in 10 years and said, you know, you didn't make it affordable. So your second day, so the, you and the provincial government failed in, in how you're, in how you're uh, you know, restricting short-term rentals. I could say, oh, well, maybe we met the numbers, but I think in a way we've been a victim of our own success. You know, we've got a great community, we've got a beautiful spot and keeps getting better. We keep adding pieces of infrastructure and parks that yeah. make Kelowna better. So every time we make it better, we make it more desirable and more people want to move here. And you know the challenge gets bigger. So it needs to be top of mind all the time in all the decisions we make. And there needs to be somewhere for that you know service sector in this city to live in the healthcare sector and teachers and all those jobs. I mean, there's a ceiling on, you know, what those jobs pay. And, you know, I like my kid going to school every day and not learning online. So, I mean, everybody's got a different feeling there. And some people like that. Their kids no, we are dying to get into daycare. It's been two years and like, it is a struggle. I never realized how much of a struggle it is. Like we finally got accepted to one. I'll you, talk to you. you can hear it right out of that. He's yeah. still not in daycare because <laughs> we just have no pain. I'll tell him about this podcast. Victor. It's insane. Like for, they accepted us two weeks ago and it's like, when's the start date? We don't know. Zero communication. So I agree. Things like that. Doctors, yeah. like service industry, I guess. Do you guys feel like you're actually going to achieve affordability? Two-part question in terms of someone trying to buy a single family house or a condo, whatever, like a primary residence and someone renting. Like, I guess we're talking about affordability as a whole, but are you guys tackling both issues or? Yeah, I think that people move up through the housing spectrum. And so like I started here in an illegal basement suite. That was all I- Non-conforming. Yeah. In 2002, you know, 22 year old guy making 19 bucks an hour. My first job at city hall, yeah. that's like all I could afford and all I could find. And they had 20 applications. And the only reason the guy gave it to me was because he was like, oh, well, I think he works at city hall. So maybe he won't like tell him, he won't wrap me out in my, oh, like, right. my suite. <laughs> and I didn't really know that at the time he told me afterwards that that's why he chose me. But yeah, it was all I had. And then, you know, I knew that it was an issue. And as soon as I could move on, I did, but moved up through the rental market. And then I moved up through the ownership market too. And owned, uh, actually bought a house with a carriage house and a buddy when I bought it together. And then moved on my own to a townhouse and then moved on to another house where I was the only one on title there. My wife and I were the only ones on title, but it took a number of moves to get there over time. And I think that that's what people have, we don't have to be willing to do. And I don't think anybody should feel entitled to a single family house. You know, I don't think you move to Vancouver now and expect to buy a single family house. You know, you hope if you're a family, you know, depending on your income, you're probably looking at, you know, a big condo or a townhouse. Yeah. And yeah. in Kelowna, we're trying to provide options to single family houses. So if you can't live in a single family house, or maybe an option for you to move out of your single family house, you know, if you're in your 60s or 70s and you're living in the upper mission, you've got three or 4,000 square feet, you're not really using it. 
but you want to stay in Kelowna, you want a view, you liked your view, where do you go? Well, maybe you go in a tower downtown. Yeah. And so that provides the move up. Maybe a family now moves into that house in the upper mission and they move or, up from a town. keep it and you put it on Airbnb as a rental. You know? <laughs> yeah, you get lots of bachelor. Well, that's what's going on right now, right? Yeah. And so that move up effect, we need to provide lots of opportunities for that. Yeah. And when people say, well, towers are only luxury housing, well, they still you know, help the move up effect. And yeah. yes, there's people from out of town who buy units in towers, but there are also locals who move into towers as well. One of the owners of the mission group lives in his own tower and downsized from the upper mission. Really good example. You know, loves that downtown lifestyle. And those are the type of people we actually want to get downtown because right now, you know, there's lots of people who complain downtown's not a people place. Well, as soon as we, you know, way more people down there living down there day in and day out and who have ownership over it, it's going to feel a whole lot better. Yeah. yeah. I love what you said, though, about getting into the market some creative way, partnering up, just getting into the market to start building up. That's the way you got to do it. That's yeah. going to have to be the new normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, yeah, my roommate and I literally bought a house and a carriage house together. We partnered up and yeah. we cobbled together our down payment. And, yeah. you know, there was months where like, you know, he worked fewer days and I had to pay more rent, whatever, to make it happen. And we made it happen and it wasn't easy. And again, we still had a roommate in the basement of the main house as well with us yeah. to make it happen as well as someone in the carriage house. And even that was tight, but I think people are going to have to work at it, but we also have to provide the options too. And like yeah. we could go into infill housing for a couple hours and we've got all sorts of, you know, pilot projects going on on that front. And you start to see the central Kelowna neighborhoods changing. And that's all alternatives to, you know, the house in the mission that's a million six, a million eight, two million. Now, someone's was saying to me, well, you know, your infill housing isn't affordable. I would argue that, you know, for a family, if you're getting a three bedroom for, you know, 750, 800, 850 right now, that is pretty affordable. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of minds, I think that the days are gone where you're moving into a house in central Kelowna. Yeah. At like, I don't know, when I moved here, I think you could buy a place down like Coronation for 120. Yeah. Like, that's crazy, man. What are they, what do they sell for now? Is that a million to move in there? Yeah, yeah. It's a million. Yeah. I agree. Like, the infill projects are amazing yeah. in Kelowna. You guys are very proactive on that. Also, I, like, when I'm asking for clients and they ask you or I ask Adam, like, will the city support this? It's like immediate yes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a no. That's a huge need on a scalability thing. We're not going to add a ton of units. That no, way, that's, but it's needed for density. Yeah, I mean, net units, that's maybe, you know, a couple hundred a year. Maybe, but yeah. It makes it affordable for the homeowner to then subdivide, claw back some of that capital, you know, a few hundred thousand. Like, that's where the opportunity is. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the reason I asked, like, should Kelowna be affordable is you can drive to Merritt in an hour and the median home price there is 560,000. Like, I don't know, obviously it's easy for me to sit in my office here and be like, oh, that's easy. But like you, like we all made sacrifices and clawed up the ladder. I just feel if you're in Kelowna and the affordability is an issue, like there are options, you know, you can relocate somewhere else, you can rent to own, you can do lots of creative things. So one other topic, your LinkedIn is awesome. I love it. You post a lot of really cool stuff there. One thing I wanted to talk about was the city has agreed to bring in 120 units, like small housing for homeless population. That's right. Do we want to touch on that a little bit before we kind of wrap things up? Yeah, I mean, it's something that we've been working on. Like if you run down the rail trail between Gordon and Richter once or twice a week, and what's going on down there is not safe the way it is. You know, if you talk to 10 different people in the street here, there's 10 different opinions on what we should be doing. Yep. Again, we need to do something. And so this was an option that we worked out. We can't do it on our own. Mm -hmm. And so working with our partners at the provincial government, we found that we had some support for this idea. And so we've been working on it and working on it and working on it. And we think we found some sites that suit themselves to it. And so, yeah, we're going to give it a go. And hopefully for some of that population who wants to be out of the cold and off the street this winter, we've got a place for them to go. Where are the sites? I can't tell you yet. Okay. It's not public yet. It's a McKinley Lane. McKin yeah. <laughs> what, uh, no, I'm all of a sudden a NIMBY. Can I just ask, yeah. like, are there qualifications to be able to be approved for the housing in terms of drug use? And yeah, and that's like way out of my wheelhouse. Okay. Yeah, I would get involved in the, can you put, you know, shelter housing on this site? Does the zoning allow it? The actual operational model outside of my wheelhouse entirely. Okay. And so I might hear like discussions about it. it's coming together so quickly that, yeah, I haven't heard a whole lot about it. I mean, I think the fact that we have a provincial government who recognizes the challenge here and who's willing to, you know, invest to help us make a difference, even if it's a small difference, is really good news. And we've had the housing minister here 
four or five times this year in Kelowna. And this isn't like an NDP stronghold or anything, not to go yeah. too far into politics. Yeah. But I mean, I think that we're getting quite a bit of attention and, you know, we're glad that they're recognizing the work that we're doing. They have a lot of confidence in us as a community and us at the city of Kelowna to deliver. And I mean, we'd be really excited if they were planning a building, BC Housing, down on Bertram. That's been paused for a little while. So we continue to, to advocate for that building as well. You know, affordable rental housing is so needed in this community. And they wanted to put a daycare in the building too, also needed in the community. So those types of things, yeah, don't happen without the partnerships. And yeah, yeah I mean, I think that we'll try that model out and see how it goes. And if that's not working, we'll keep working until we find something that does work well. Yeah, the housing minister was here six times, actually. He stayed at my Airbnb. No. <laughs> um, well, can you describe, like, is there a capital projection for that investment? Do you know those numbers at all? How much it's going to cost to bring in the 120 units? I have no idea off the top of my head, yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I think that's kind of all we have for time. I mean, yeah, I've got a million other questions. We'd love to have you on again. Can we just wrap up with our icebreaker round here? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. If you could purchase any property in the Okanagan in the next year, what would it be? I would do actually resort property. We have a place that we share with another couple of big white. Nice. And compared to how quickly the population of like the central Okanagan is growing, they're not building homes that quickly up at big white. Yeah. yeah. And so... I mean, normally I would say don't expect to buy a property at Big White as an investment or, you know, at any ski hill. I think, you know, that's a good option right now. If I was looking at that, I think that uh, there's not a whole lot being built up there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of money. I'm in the market, so I don't have to worry about it now. Things are getting more expensive. Hey, I love that. We're yeah. just closing on a place at yeah. Big White. So I'm like, yes. Yeah. And the family aspect of the mountain is amazing too. And all the investments they're making in their own capital infrastructure yeah. are fabulous. Like the new central res building is amazing. They have finally have electric car chargers up there. I drove up and freaked out that I wasn't going to be able to make it down a couple of Mondays ago because I've got an electric car. Yeah. So I used that and then realized I didn't really need it because the whole way back's downhill and my car just charged itself on the way home. Oh, nice. but yeah, I think it just proximity to Kelowna, all the airport programs, like the shuttle is up to Big White from the airport, whether it's Big White or Silver Star, Apex. I think those are sort of supporting playground to the Okanagan over the winter. I don't think you can go wrong right now. Yeah, it is such a great mountain. Yes. Yeah. And the mental health aspect with the family, like it's... Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, well, as soon as we like get on the road to head up there, I feel like we're on vacation every Friday afternoon. As soon as you get that hairpin, you're like, yep, I'm happy now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the best thing you've ever spent money on? Best thing I ever spent money on? Probably like sports equipment, I would say. Like, <laughs> what kind of sports do you play? I'm like a big cyclist, runner. Nice. Yeah. I just bought these new, I have a cousin who works for Nike. Oh, yeah. And we hadn't connected in a while. I didn't really know exactly what I did for Nike, but he was up and we had a little barbecue and he saw my running shoe collection. There's no Nikes in it. And he said, man, you got to get some Nikes. We got to get you some. What do you want? And I'll get you some Nikes at cost. And so I got these nike invincible shoes that are like really foamy bouncy running shoes not oh, yeah. the carbon plated ones those yeah. are for racers yeah. these are like a training running shoe yeah and i go out and run in them and it's like the best shoe i've ever worn oh, nice. and hopefully i get something from this for nike now <laughs> yeah. i want another pair or my, i'm gonna send my cousin this and say i want another yeah. <laughs> nike is a show sponsor so yeah, there we go but yeah best money i mean it's nice to get a little discount on the yeah. shoe for a $250 shoe, but uh, yeah. yeah, like I'm a right amount of bikes for me is like, if I had a new one every year, that'd be fabulous. <laughs> I got yeah. two young kids now, so that's not happening. I'm buying kids bikes, but yeah. I can't swallow like a Walmart's kids bike. So our kids bikes are always more expensive yeah. too. Yeah. Hopefully uh, my oldest kid isn't a cyclist. And so I like, I hope the younger one maybe gets more into it. The older one could care I think less. Cycling is kind of a sport you get into a little bit older. So I think you're still. Yeah. Yeah. You guys still, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe he'll still get into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Best book or quote. I'll ask. So have you read Shoe Dog then? If you're newly Nike. No, I haven't no? read Shoe Dog. Oh man. Great book. Yeah. You'll love that. Okay. Cool. What's his name? Something McKnight. Knight? Who's the... Phil Knight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Shoe Dog. I saw the movie, that recent okay. movie about it. Yeah. yeah about Phil. And yeah, uh, yeah that, that was great. Yeah, it's worth the read. Yeah, anything else? Blink, Malcolm Gladwell. Just the job I'm in. We have to make decisions all day, every day. Or trying to help other people make decisions all day, every day. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of trusting how you make decisions and learning about like what your brain's doing that you don't know about. So you might have like a gut feel about something and that gut feel is not just a gut feel. I mean, you've got tons of experience that probably led you to that, that you're not really realizing on the fly. Yeah. And so I trust my gut a lot more 
after reading that. And yeah, yeah, yeah good book. And yeah, I, I'm reading all sorts of like fiction right now about France because we took the family to France oh, in the cool. summer. Cool. And um, like murder mysteries in France. And so now if we go back, I'm going to be scared that we're going to get murdered. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all, I like keep reminding myself, it's only fiction. It's only fiction. Yeah. So. Now you can run fast too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can run fast. Yeah. That's awesome. So how can we help you? How can our listeners help you? Yeah, I think that listening to these types of conversations. And I love it when members of the community come to me and say, hey, look, I have this idea. Like, we don't agree on any of the solutions here, but the very fact that we're having the discussion and getting it out there and you hear a little bit about things I'm struggling with or ideas I have, you might say, Ryan, that idea isn't very good, but if you did this and this instead, that'd be way better. That really helps me. And like, I don't know everything. Like I'm city planning director. I don't know everything about how the city should grow. We try and guide the decisions of the city the best we can. And all of you are, you know, what helped me do that in the community. And even the people that criticize, we still listen to that. Except for the people that like think I get free money from developers. I don't really listen to them. It's like, I would not be living between Victor and Pandozi the block we live in if I was getting money from developers (laughs) under the table. But, you know, otherwise people with good constructive feedback, like I think that we owe it to people if they're going to take the time and have the courage to put it out there. So, I mean, yeah, I love that. Could I give you cash though, just to let my Airbnb (laughs) keep going? No, I guess one last question then. How'd you become a city planner? We asked Adam the same thing. Like it's an interesting job to get into instead of somebody just calling you and complaining about this stuff. What's the process and how did you get yeah, Well, My dad was a city planner for the city of North Vancouver oh, wow. uh, for 30 years. So I didn't really want to be a city planner until <laughs> I finished university and was looking for something to do. And I was like, well, my dad's a city planner. Yeah. I did a geography degree with a minor in economics and didn't know. So I started applying for jobs and didn't get anything. And then finally I got an interview in Kelowna. They asked me how I handled stress in the interview. <laughs> And I was like, why are they asking me that question? Okay, like, how does anybody handle stress that's 22? I was like, I don't know, on like a Friday or whatever, I'll have a couple beers. And the uh, guy who interviewed me ended up being my boss, actually lives like a couple blocks from here, um, was a rugby player. And he's like, that's the only guy that gave us a really honest answer. <laughs> nice. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I was the one in there who you know, had the least experience and had to work the hardest to move up. And in Kelowna, I got opportunities working in a small place that was growing quickly that I never would have got in the lower mainland. Yeah. And so Kelowna has always been good to me that way. And it's a small community. It's easy to meet people. And like, what is there, a degree or two of separation here? Yeah. And so if you've got a message, it's easier to get it out. But if something bad happens to you, we say something that people hate, then it travels really quick as well. So you're like, yeah. So yeah, and that's how I got into it. And I kind of stuck it out. And I I was lucky to have some really great bosses and leaders in the city in Kelowna the whole way through and to this day. And, you know, I would say, you know, all of them are my friends and I've had work for four mayors now and I could sit down and have a coffee with any one of them and got along with all of them really well. And it's not for me, it's helping the politicians handle the challenges of the day, giving the best advice that I can. And uh, hopefully they're appreciating it too. And yeah, we don't always agree on, you know, the politics of the issue, but I think we can agree on, you know, trying to get something done efficiently and practically. And that's what they've always, I think, valued about my contributions. Yeah. So love well, to hear you. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us your time and we'll have you back on in awesome. 18 months and review some of this stuff then. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Have a good one. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.